the Blaze Radio Network. On demand. Glenn Beck. Exactly 10 years ago this week, all of our lives changed. On Tuesday, our attention, rightly so, was focused on what happened 17 years ago, the week of 9-11. But seven years later, on September 15th, Lehman Brothers collapsed, kicking off the 2008 financial crisis. New York City, again, ground zero for another tragedy. The shockwave reverberated across all of the globe. We were told, and I believe, that the entire financial system of the Western world was on the ropes. The question that we should be asking ourselves this week. One, when it comes to Islamic extremism, are we better or worse than we were 17 years ago? Are we even addressing the problem? Can we even talk about the problem? Two, After a decade of trying to fix the banking system, could this happen again? Have we fixed things or made it worse? Are we even talking about it? Some people say the record amounts of global and corporate debt will trigger the next crash. Some say a global currency crisis is about to explode. And that will be the cause. Others fear that it's protectionism and tariffs. To be honest, all of these things could trigger a next crash. Each scenario has the potential to make what happened in 2008 seem like a slight road bump. Imagine if all of these scenarios happened one domino at a time. It would be a catastrophe beyond anything the world has ever experienced. But I haven't even mentioned the biggest scenario, the most likely scenario. A collapse of the bond market. A collapse of everyone's retirement fund. There are so many scenarios out there, and experts are even more worried about something that I really didn't take seriously. I didn't, I didn't think anyone else was taking seriously. The Depository Trust and Clearing Corporation. They provide clearing and settlement for financial markets here in the U.S. They released a uh, report outlining their number one fear. (laughs) Their number one fear? Cyber warfare. (laughs) All of the scenarios I've just laid out are all likely And on the last one, there are not just a few people worried. A few months ago, the government published a similar report drawing the same conclusions. The number one fear is cyber warfare. These findings came from the Financial Stability Oversight Council, which is chaired by the Secretary of the Treasury. This isn't some kooky, you know, harebrained conspiracy theory. Both the government and private business thinks a cyber attack will be the root cause of a global crash. This is kind of big news. How is this information not being reported all over the country this week? Oh, because Bob Woodward's book is out. The report details how a nation state cyber attack will begin by targeting what's called systematically important financial institutions. These are banks like the Bank of America, J.P. Morgan, or the bank formerly known as Lehman Brothers. But they can also be giant hedge funds or insurance companies like AIG. 
The Lehman Brothers collapse was the first shot of the 2008 crash. And experts are now saying something similar will happen during the next one. The big one, as they're now calling it. A hostile country like China, Russia, or even North Korea would trigger a run on one or multiple systematically important institutions. From there, the global system would begin to unravel just as it did before. But this time, it would happen as a global and corporate debt uh, scheme is at record levels. As global currency crisis brewing, with a trade war escalating, all between the two largest economies in the world, we should probably take a moment and talk about things that are real. Technologic, uh, technology is changing. It's changing the world like never before. We are on the cusp of something profound, and it will be profoundly devastating and or profoundly marvelous. Some of it's going to be spectacular. Some of it is going to be horrifying and extraordinarily destructive. It's Thursday, September 13th. You're listening to the Glenn Beck Program. <laughs> I want to... On the heels of that, I want to show you something that came out. This is from the Financial Times. Stu handed this to me yesterday, and he said, Glenn, I, I don't think this is a prediction prediction, but this is something else you railed on for how long, and it's come true. And we never really had on-the-record evidence of it. We had a lot of back, you know, no. back room meetings, a lot of people at high levels who came to you and told you these exact things, but it would never go on record with it at right. the time. And would stick me out. So I looked crazy. You know, some of the people that we would come to when, when 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 asked about it, they would go on the record and they'd be like, no, that's no, that no, we're fine. But behind the scenes, they would be telling me, you've got to keep going. You, you, you don't understand why you're right yet. You need to read this, this and this. You need to look over here because that's why you're right. And I would come on and I would say, I'm telling you these people, I can't tell you their names, but I'm telling you they're coming to me and they are telling me these things. Don't listen to what you're hearing on television because everybody knows. Well, why didn't they say anything? Finally, the Financial Times has run a story and you'd have to ask yourself, why are they running this story? Why are they running this story now? Back into se September 2008, a failure of AIG, many believed, would mean an instantaneous collapse of the European banking system, which held much impaired U.S. credit. Now, just listen to that. Back in September 2008, this is the new Financial Times story. This is the first headline. Back in September 2008, a failure of AIG, that was that insurance company, many believed would mean an instantaneous collapse of the European banking system, as if that's not bad enough, which held much impaired U.S. credit. What does that mean? We are living so far beyond our means right now. If the world goes into collapse, we have no money. We're living on borrowed money right now. If Europe goes down, who's buying any of our credit? 
if China suddenly turns on us or uh, or goes down, who's giving us money to be able to afford the things that we claim we must have? On top of who's buying our products? It continues. It's time to admit that I once deliberately withheld important information from the readers. It was 10 years ago. The financial crisis was at its worst. I think I did the right thing. But a decade on from 2008 crisis, uh, I need to discuss it. The moment came on September 17th, two days after Lehman declared bankruptcy. That Wednesday was, for me, the scariest day of the crisis, when world finance came closest to all-out collapse. But I didn't write as much in the Financial Times. Two critical news items had broken out on that Tuesday night. First, AIG received an $8.5 billion bailout. It needed it because it had to pay up for credit default swaps transactions that it had guaranteed. Without those guarantees, bonds sitting on banks' balance sheets and assumed to be of no risk, would instead be deemed worthless. Gosh, there is so much. In in just that one sentence, there is so much there. That would instantly render many of the banks holding them technically insolvent. Okay. So these credit default swaps, which was one of the main problems that we had in 2008, that problem has not been solved. That problem is much worse much worse today they were guaranteed by an insurance company don't worry if they go down because uh they're of really no risk you can count them on your books as good as gold well as soon as they went to zero the banks didn't have any money to their name even though it was paper they didn't have any money to their name So the government had to step in and bail out AIG, the insurance company. So the insurance company could say, yes, those those things, that paper that's actually worth zero. We're going to give you the money. We we've insured those. That allowed them to keep their doors open. If this isn't if this isn't everything you learned in Jimmy Stewart's It's a Wonderful Life, I don't know what is. Meanwhile, the Reserve Fund, the largest U.S. independent money market mutual fund, announced a loss of its holdings of Lehman Bond. As a result, the price would fall below $1 per share. The Reserve Fund, listen to this, the largest U.S. independent money market mutual fund. Is your, do you have any of your retirement money in mutual funds? Of course you do. In 2008, the largest independent mutual fund announced that because of Lehman Brothers, it had so many of their bonds in Lehman Brothers, that they would now fall below a dollar per share, which would have meant that everybody who had any retirement savings in those mutual funds, gone. This was terrifying because money market funds, which hold short-term bonds, were treated as guaranteed. No money market fund had ever broken the buck, fallen below the price of a dollar. 
The funds were vital customers for short-term debt. Without them, how could banks or big companies fund themselves? Investors rushed to pull money out of money funds, while the fund's managers dumped corporate bonds for the safety of treasury bills. This was an actual run on the bank. The solvency of Wall Street's biggest banks was now in question. Amid chaos, the yield on Treasury bills fell to its lowest since Pearl Harbor. Desperate people needed safety, and interest rates no longer mattered. Unlike 2007's run on Northern Rock in the UK, none of this was visible. Lines don't form around the block to buy T-bills. But the Wall Streeters I spoke to thought the banking system was at risk of failing. As this happened, I realized, this is the writer reporting this, I realized I had a lot of cash in my bank account at Citibank. I was above the limit covered by the U.S. deposit insurance, which was at the time $100,000. So if Citi went bust, once an inconceivable event that I could now imagine, I could lose everything over $100,000 for good. So on my lunch hour, I headed to Citibank. I planned on taking half of my money out and putting it into an account at a Chase branch next door. That would double the number of, of money that I had insured. If uh, uh, Because we were in Midtown Manhattan, surrounded by investment banking offices, at Citi, I found a long line, all well-dressed Wall Streeters. They were doing exactly the same thing as me. Next door, Chase was also full of anxious-looking bankers. Once I reached the relationship officer, who was great, she told me that she and her opposite number at Chase had agreed on a plan of action. I need not open an account at another bank. Using bullet points, she asked if I were married and had children. Then she opened accounts for each of my children in a trust, the joint account with my wife. In a few minutes, I had quadrupled my deposit insurance coverage. I was now, uh, I was now exposed only to Uncle Sam and not to Citi. With a smile, she told me she had been doing this all morning. Neither she nor her friend at Chase had ever requests to do this until this week. I was finding it a little hard to breathe. There was an actual bank run happening, but it was only happening in the New York financial district. People panicking were Wall Streeters who best understood what was going on. All I needed to do was get a photographer to take a few shots of the well-dressed bankers lining up for their money and write a caption explaining it. We did not do this. Such a story on the financial front page of the Financial Times would have been enough to push the system over the edge. Our readers went unwarned, and the system went without that final prod into panic. But the next crisis will not be about banking, but the insidious danger that pension funds deflate, leaving an entire generation without any money to retire. Was this the right call 10 years ago? I think so. All of our competitors also shunned any photos of Manhattan bank branches. The right, free, the right to free speech does not give us the right to shout fire in a crowded cinema. It does if there's a fire. I mean, it's, there's no free speech limitation on taking pictures of a bank, uh, having a run in a bank. He says there was the risk of a fire and we might have lit the spark by shouting about it. 
A few weeks later, the deposit protection was raised, blah, blah, blah. Ten years ago, U.S. banks, virtually the only players in the financial world, plainly more secure than they were before. They delivered and built up capital, and the risk of sudden collapse is now far more distant. The problem now is the disposing of that risk has obstructed the task of reducing other risks. Now risks lie in bloated asset prices, leveraged investments, and pension funds that hold them. The next crisis will not be about banking, but the insidious danger that pension fault of pension funds deflate, leaving people without any money to retire. The bad news is... This is a crisis whose solution can always wait until another day. Politicians can ignore it. The good news is I need not stay quiet this time. Uh, he'd be interesting to talk to. He would uh, be. Because, I mean, that's because I can understand no, I can't. the feeling there. But again, he protected himself and, you know, his readers. Didn't In a get way, that isn't that insider trading? I mean, in, in it's, reverse, it's it feels ins- like that. Yeah, yeah, it's insider trading. He has information that the general public does not ha- have. Now, I understand about the panic thing. Believe me, we've talked about this mm-hmm. for years. We spoke about this, but we believe we have a responsibility to tell you the truth on what is going on. It's, yeah, it's more of a journalistic question in some ways it um, than it is. But I can understand you don't want to send the country into a panic but on the other hand you're protecting your hundreds of thousands of dollars while the average person is going to lose everything yeah has no way to protect themselves your pension funds are in trouble please please pay attention to where your retirement money is they are in trouble that this is a warning that that is coming all right, our sponsor of this half hour, we are so pleased to have LifeLock as uh, as part of our sponsorship role. They have been very loyal and with us for a very long time. Uh, they recently, the FBI, along with international uh, law enforcement agencies, have recently arrested 74 alleged cyber criminals for schemes designed to intercept and hijack wire transfers from businesses and individuals. Now, the agencies utilized intelligence gathered by... Uh, Symantec? Is that how you say it? I think so. Symantec? Symantec. This is the world's leading cybersecurity company. The schemes work by luring victims uh, to phishing sites with a PH, not an F, via email, and then presenting a believable page that mirrors another site. Attention, John Podesta. Attention, John Podesta. Don't click on sites that mimic other sites that are actually phishing scams. It's crazy, isn't it? Yeah, that's exactly what happened yeah. to him. So LifeLock now has uh, identity theft protection, but they also have Norton Security to help protect you against threats to your identity and the devices that you can't see or fix on your own. So I want you to call LifeLock now at 1-800-LIFELOCK. Make sure that you are buttoned up. LifeLock.com, use the promo code BECK. That's LifeLock.com, promo code BECK. Save 10% off your first year, $25 Amazon gift card with annual enrollment. 1-800-LIFELOCK or LifeLock.com, promo code BECK. Glenn Beck. We are really uh, glad that you're here today. Tonight at 8 o'clock Eastern, I'm doing a live uh, virtual book signing. You can uh, sign up at, what is it, livesigning.com slash Beck. 8 o'clock, you can find out all about it. Livesigning.com slash Beck. You have to go on now and uh, and register, and you can ask questions, and I'll be answering them tonight live 
LiveSigning.com slash Beck. Uh, I'd love to, if we can't meet, we're on tour, but you don't happen to be around one of the cities we're in. This is the way to get your autograph book and also uh, be able to chance to at least virtually meet. LiveSigning.com slash Beck tonight, 8 p.m. Eastern. Hello and uh, welcome to the program. So some good news for South Carolina, kind of, and North Carolina. The, uh, the, the hurricane has been downgraded from yesterday. Uh, it, we were thinking yesterday at this time it might be a Category 5. However, the storm surge is what they're worried about now. Not necessarily the winds, but this thing is coming onshore and it's a storm surge of anywhere from, what is it, 6 to 16 feet, something like that. Um, and that will cause flooding everywhere. So lots of damage. If you can help, uh, we yesterday we sent out a couple hundred uh, semi-tractor trailers. Uh, I think we had about 250 of them on the road yesterday. Uh, they had supplies, water, you know, chainsaws, heavy equipment, everything that you would need to uh, be able to start to dig out of something like this. Those trucks are already parked and out of the uh, way of danger, but ready to go in as soon as things settle down. Uh, we also have we have uh, Operation Barbecue, which is this great charity that we've done all kinds of work. They just got out of uh, California for the wildfires, and now they're headed over for the opposite uh, for too much water. They feed about 30,000 meals every single day, uh, and we are supporting them. We need your help. If you would like to help, uh, please make a donation to mercuryone.org, mercuryone.org. We are always, uh, you know, the first in and the last to leave, and we could really use your help. Mercuryone.org, make a donation. Uh, we have Aaron Watson on the phone because he's doing something for uh, still the hurricane victims in Texas because everybody has kind of moved on. But a lot of people in Texas have not been able to move on yet. Aaron Watson, country music superstar. How are you, Aaron? I'm good. It's great to hear your voice. Yeah, good to I hear can. you. Well, I good. I hear your voice all the time because I listen to your music. But, uh, <laughs> you know, you could listen to the show and you could hear my voice. I'm well, just... I was just trying to be friendly, you know. Okay. <laughs> you know, you, you, you know I'm, I'm a big fan. Yeah, no, I'm good. Good to hear from you, brother. Good, yeah, good to hear from you. Now, what are you doing? Because you just put out a new CD, uh, if you even call them that now. Um, and it's your uh, it's your rodeo CD, right? Yeah, so we recorded our performance at the uh, Houston Rodeo uh, back in 2017, and we were planning on putting it out uh, about the time that the hurricane hit uh, the the Texas coast. And we just kind of put it on the back burner. We just didn't feel like promoting an album while, you know, such a large part of the state was going through – such a tough time so we we really just kind of put it on the back shelf and at some point i thought we would never even put the album out like it just kind of missed its opportunity but then we thought you know what we could put this album out on the one year anniversary of when hurricane harvey hit houston and all along the south uh, texas coast and uh, we could use that to raise some money for those 41 counties that were affected you know when there's billions of dollars of damage and millions of people affected 12 months later you know the mess isn't cleaned up so we just thought it'd be a great opportunity 
for us to uh, to give back. All right. So what are you doing You're, for every for every download sold? What how much goes? It's a dollar forty one. And we, we did the dollar forty one just to let people know that there's there's forty one counties that were affected. I mean, I, I don't think people understand just how big Texas is, but those forty one counties are probably larger than a lot of states. Yes. And um, so, you know, we were we did a show down in Houston um, a couple of weeks back when we released the album. And just it's crazy. There's still people who have not got to move back into their homes. It's, so we're trying to raise some money and also raise awareness and uh, let people know there's still folks out there that need some help. Yeah. So Aaron Watson, if you if you don't know who Aaron Watson is and you're a country music fan, you are missing something great. He is a great, great uh, entertainer. Uh, and his music is, I mean, right from the heart. It's just really good stuff. My, I was going to say, I want to make sure I'm accurate on that. Yes, my favorite country music artist is Aaron Watson. Uh, <laughs> I love it. And uh, and this is a great um, uh, recording of, of, I mean, if you're in country, you know the Houston Rodeo is the best, and we applaud you for doing this, uh, Aaron. Well, man, I tell you what, you know, when, when I got to play your, your Mercury One event, it, very inspiring. I mean, it can be overwhelming that the world has so, so much need out there, but uh, you guys, uh, you never flinch. You just keep on giving back, and you keep on finding ways to help people out. So I just want to commend you guys for the example that you're setting for all of us. So Thank, thank you very you. much. Thank you. Aaron, well, AaronWatson.com. You can buy it on, I assume you can buy it on, you know, iTunes or wherever else. iTunes, Amazon. You know, it's got, uh, it's got 14 uh, tracks. And I'll tell you this, I recorded one, there's one song on there, Glenn, that's not live. Uh, during the hurricane, um, I wrote a song called Higher Ground because while there was all this, you know, controversy a year ago, and there still is of, you know, whether it's, politics or whatever there's all you turn on the news and it's bad news and bad news and bad news i wrote this song higher ground because i was i was really inspired by the way people were coming together down in along the south texas coast and helping each other out different colors races religions you know they they were showing each other kindness and it it really set a, a great example for all of us to like you know what we're all on the same team here so let's Let's show each other love. So that's, I wrote that song just kind of in honor of everyone who's been through these tough times. Yeah. Thank you very much, Aaron. I appreciate it. Um, AaronWatson.com. Um, Aaron, thanks for your help. You know, it's amazing that it was a, a year ago, isn't it? Isn't that, isn't that wild? I mean, in some ways, it seems like yesterday. In other ways, it seems like 1,400 years ago. It really does. It, it's, you know, and, you know, one... The next next week there's another hurricane I know. or another another something. So, man, thanks for all you do, brother. Got it. Thanks, Aaron. Uh, if you also would like to uh, donate, we could really use your help at Mercury One dot uh, org. We are so deep in so many things right now, uh, and uh, it's all because of you. Mercury One dot org. Of really what. <laughs> It's all because of you. It's all because of global warming. That's what it's because of. You know, global thank you for saying warming. It. Well, no, it's not. Mm-hmm. No, no, no. Mm-hmm. It's not because of global warming. May I? Pardon me? No. May Denier? I? Denier? No, oh. no, no. Listen to me. Okay. It's because of Donald Trump. Yes. Okay. Now who you're speaking Who is some sense. not doing enough 
about global warming. Yes. Uh, I, you know, man, if he just would, if California would have banned straws a couple weeks earlier, oh. North Carolina would be fine. Man. It's, I, I, was, uh, I decided to go over to the New York Times, see how their coverage was going for mm-hmm. the uh, hurricane today. And they had uh, three, three updates. Two of them were about global warming. Now, every time a snowstorm comes in, they <sighs> say you can't. You snowstorm in a time where it's not supposed to be snowy. They say, well, of course, you can't blame any individual storm on global warming. That's crazy. But every hurricane. But every time there's a hurricane, there are stories blaming that individual storm on global warming. Even though hurricanes are down. Yeah, down overall. Obviously, we went through, what, 15 years without hitting any major hurricanes really hitting the United States. Uh, but now that you know we've had a couple of years now with with big ones, we're going to... And, uh, get and, this pushy. And by the way, this is going to hit ground likely as a category two. Right. So a big one. Right. No, you know why this is big? You know why this is causing so much damage? Is because the federal government said that they would start to cover insurance for homes on the water. Before then, you couldn't have you couldn't get your insurance. So people didn't build stuff by the water. If you were really, really wealthy and you were like, ah, if I, my home is destroyed, I'll just build another one, you'd build your house there. But as soon as we said, as taxpayers, I'm sorry, as soon as the government said, as taxpayers, we will just take the money from them and give it to the people who are building their homes right on the water, all kinds of communities sprung up. And we're on the hook for it every single year. Now, we have to be there to help people. But please don't tell me that when a Category 2 comes ashore, that this is because of global warming. No, it's not. Category 2s are not uncommon. Category 4s aren't uncommon. And in the last 117 years, since 1900, okay, from 1900 to 2017, the trend of both hurricanes hitting in continental United States, and major hurricanes. Because the concept, it, it, both of those, the, the trend is down. Down. It's about, it's not a huge, a huge decrease, but it is a decrease. And you Even know, if it's flat. Right. The concept is, of course, that it's not that, at first they said they were going to be larger and more frequent. Mm-hmm. Then when they realized uh, the science didn't support the more frequent thing at all, they said larger. And this is what they were doing with, with Florence. They were saying, look, the water's warmer. And the water, water is warmer, and the reason, you know, that means it's going to strengthen all the way to the coast, and it's going to be this gigantic hurricane. Now we're seeing the opposite happening, where it's actually breaking apart, and it's going down to a Category 2. There's still going to be some major problems. for, for Major problems. This does, not a, this does not mean, hey, okay, I guess I'll stay at home on the coast in the Outer Banks. It's still not a good idea. Um, but the point is, when it comes to global warming, is now they're saying, well, now it's the, the extra rainfall. They just keep picking up these different... Uh, arguments when the last one fails well even major hurricanes are down since 1900 major hurricanes if they were if they were getting stronger then you would not have that as true but yet it's it is what what is actually happening and of course the cost is solely because as you point out people are building on the shore a lot more they're not only building on the shore they're building on the shore in large homes that are obviously waterfront property so very expensive and then when those things come in and, and, and they do have problems, the cost is astronomical compared to what it used to be. There's a, um, uh, there's a graphic that's been floating around um, uh, social media, uh, which is amazing, just showing the difference in development of North Carolina oh, it's from when 1954 the hurricane hit mm-hmm. and what it is today. I mean, it's and, an, and you think about it, when people used to have things on the beach or, you know, on the waterfront, 
they used to be like cabins. They would be like a yep. little summer cabin. Mm-hmm. Now they're these giant, you know, multi-million dollar structures. Yep. And even, yeah, and they're really expensive and they're bigger and there's more stuff in them. For example, since the 1970s, the average home, not just the ones on the water, but the average home in the United States has increased by 1,000 square feet. Now, back in the day, the home I grew up in was about 1,000 square feet total. Yeah. The average house now is over 2,500 square feet. Mm-hmm. And what they're, I mean, think about how much more. It's newer stuff. It's more expensive. It's by the water. And it's double the size. So all of these things combine to, of course, when these things hit, there's a lot more damage. The insurance shouldn't be as, as cheap and subsidized by the government. Um, it should be more difficult to uh, to acquire because if that were true, people would take more risk assessment into their decision to move to the water. Um, and I, you know, look, I think it's totally your right to go to the water. But, you know, the idea that it's the government my, should be subsidizing people's multi-million dollar no, beach homes is a little even, crazy. It's not even that. It's not even that the government is doing it. It's that I am. I don't have a waterfront property, yeah. you know, and, and I could afford one. I don't. Why? Why not? Well, I mean, I know somebody who bought something down in Galveston a year before the storm came in. OK, I mean, you, they were flooded a couple of weeks ago. They were hit by a hurricane. I don't want the hassle, but the government should not be bailing out. I should be taking money from your paycheck for you to pay for my insurance. No, no. It's a bad policy. All right. I need to tell you about our sponsor this half hour. It's ZipRecruiter. ZipRecruiter job sites will overwhelm you with tons of the wrong resumes. But that's where ZipRecruiter.com slash Beck is different. Unlike the other job sites, ZipRecruiter doesn't wait for candidates to find you. ZipRecruiter finds them for you. It's powerful matching technology that scans thousands of resumes, identifies the people with the right skills, education, and experience, and then invites them to apply. Uh, to apply. So you get quality can- uh, candidates uh, asking you for the job. And it's happening fast. No more sorting through the wrong resumes. No more waiting for the right candidates to apply. This is why ZipRecruiter is rated number one by employers in the U.S. And right now you can try it for free at ZipRecruiter.com slash Beck. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash Beck. It's the smartest way to hire. ZipRecruiter.com slash Beck. Glenn Beck. The one, the only, Mr. Mike Rowe is joining us in about 35 minutes. We also have Cal Turner on, uh, and uh, he's uh, just put a new book out, My Father's Business. He's the guy who, you know, um, created all the Dollar General stores. Uh, And a fascinating, a fascinating tale and a great story for entrepreneurs and the American spirit. Uh, he's coming on in uh, just a little while. Also, I need to tell you about, you know, the Facebook and Twitter bans that are happening. This is increasing in frequency. And I am growing um, very concerned that your voice is going to be snuffed out. Our voice is going to be snuffed out. We will not be able to communicate truth with one another. Uh, and I need to address this with you um, because it is deeply, deeply concerning when you can't say illegal alien without being banned on Twitter 
or deleted on Twitter because you've used the hate speech illegal alien. We have a problem. When when Norm MacDonald was kicked off of the Tonight Show because he said, you know, uh, Louis C.K. and Roseanne, they did bad things um, and they paid a heavy price. But, you know, when does this end for them? And when he's kicked off for asking that question. We're in a different America. We are in America that I don't recognize and truly is becoming frightening. So I want to talk to you about that later on on the broadcast today. Also, um, tonight at 8 o'clock, we are going to be doing a virtual book signing. You can go to livesigning.com slash book. You'll be one of the first ones to get an autographed copy of my new book, Addicted to Outrage, which comes out next week. Also, we're going on tour uh, and make sure that you join us there. If, if go to glenbeck.com and find out about the book, the live book signing tonight at 8 o'clock, where you can join us and ask any questions and our tour. Glenbeck.com. Glenn Beck. Mercury. Glenn Beck. You know, over our time that we have spent together, we have seen a lot of crazy stuff. Star relationship for many people started on 9-12, Some people heard that news with my voice at the end of the day. But if you, if I were national, you might have heard the warning about Osama bin Laden in, I think it was 1999 or 1997, where I said, this guy's coming in New York on WABC. And if you don't pay attention now, there will be blood, body, and buildings in the streets of Manhattan within 10 years. It happened. Came to you about 2006 and said, don't buy into any of this housing stuff. Don't do it. Don't do it. There's a massive bubble, which then I started to see was actually a banking crisis was on the way. Everyone denied it. 2008 happened. But if you were listening... You actually saved your money. I've come to you with problems, but I've tried to come to you with solutions. Best-selling book I ever wrote was Common Sense. And I'll never forget, I wrote, I wrote a lot of that on vacation. I wrote, the, uh, I wrote the, the, the most important chapters while I was on vacation. And I remember it was late at night and I called my family into the living room and I said, I want to read something to you because I think this is, I think this is right. But I also don't know if I'm willing to publish it under my name because it's, I don't know if people are going to want to hear this and I think it's trouble. And I was calling out both parties and I was calling out the games that were played in Washington and the trouble that we were headed for. You went out and bought it in droves. Two million copies later, people knew what was going on. We started the, the Tea Party and the 912 Project and played a big part in, in that with you. We followed you on a lot of that. And then 2010 happened, and then 2012, we saw that the Tea Party had been just dismantled, and we had been lied to by our own party, and I started to get discouraged. 
I left Fox and decided because people were asking me, so now what? And I didn't have an answer. I decided to break it down to smaller problems. And we we printed conform about education and common core and and what the problem was in universities long before anybody else. Gun control in the book control. When the caliphate came, something that I warned you about and everybody mocked, I wrote, it is about Islam to prepare you. With the Nazarene fund, I couldn't solve a war. I just still didn't have any answers. I don't know, but I know these people are in trouble and I don't know how to do it, but together we can figure it out. $30 million later and tens of thousands Tens of thousands of Christians moved and saved and rescued from slavery. 16,000 Christians and religious minorities, hopefully, will be moved out of this region before Christmas because of you. But people continue to ask me, how do we save, how do we save the country? How do we save the Constitution? And I didn't have an answer. And it bothered me. And I felt pretty, I felt pretty worthless because I was like, what am I bringing to you? I don't know what I'm even to say to you. How do we fix this? I don't know. It's bigger than the country. Now it's the Western way of life. After four years of searching, after two years of really intense study, after a year of writing and then taking the book and rewriting it entirely again, I can proudly come to you and say i know what the problem is and i have a way to win where we all win where half the country doesn't lose we there is something happening right now and i i can diagnose and point right directly to the cancer that's eating us and i can point you right directly to the solutions you want a way out you want to understand what's happening and you want a way out I invite you to join me on the path that I'm laying out now in Addicted to Outrage. It comes out next week. Tonight, there's a book signing. It's a virtual book signing at 8 p.m. You can just go online at, uh, what is it, uh, livesigning.com slash Beck. And I'll be answering questions, and I'll be signing your book uh, tonight. We're also going out, to traveling the country. Find out about that tour at glennbeck.com. And order your book. If you've, if you've trusted me before to say this direction, and you've noticed that I have been wrong when I was frustrated and angry and, and I wasn't listening, I am not frustrated, I'm not angry, and I have been listening for the last couple of years more than I have talked, and I talk a lot. Join me. Join me on the search to save the Western way of life. Addicted to outrage is where we begin. It's Thursday, September 13th. You're listening to the Glenn Beck Program. This is going to be an incredible hour for entrepreneurs and people who believe in America. We have Mike Rowe joining us in about uh, 25 minutes. Right now we have Cal Turner Jr. on. He is the author of the book, My Father's Business. And his father's business is the, uh, the uh, Dollar General stores. 
and Cal, welcome to the program. I want to I want to start right here on page. I think it's 38. I was 15 when my dad took the step that changed everything. It involved the kind of creative leap that comes all along too rarely and ultimately left a huge mark on American businesses. Tell me about your dad and his idea. My dad was amazing, Glenn, and he, being from the country, thought he should stay on top of what was going on in the city, and he noticed that in Nashville and Louisville, a lot of expensive newspaper advertising was done monthly to promote dollar days, and everything priced at a dollar, and he thought, wow, wouldn't that be a wonderful opportunity for us in our stores in the country to have dollar stores and it would uh, be a way to give real value to people at prices they could keep up with in the store so so you because you write in the book that um you know he he saw what he saw was the expense of a full page ad so if you got dollar days going on they must be pulling in a ton of business to pay for just that ad uh let alone to make money um and when he went to his staff they said how you the unanimous glenn they were unanimous it won't work (laughs) that's crazy (laughs) you know what's you know what's crazy when i read your book i love this I i just love this line uh your father said uh we have to sell everything in the store for a dollar i know in some cases now, I'm thinking, you know, you're, how, what are you going to get for a dollar? In some cases, it has to be multiples, like three plates or two pairs of socks for a dollar. But nothing would cost more. <laughs> well, he had some things that were actually 20 for a dollar, but I can't remember the item. Yeah, now you need, now you need $20 for one item. No, I mean 20 for one dollar. I know, I know. <laughs> it's, it's crazy. It's crazy. Yeah. So yeah. they didn't want to do it, uh, and so he said, let's just take our worst store, right? Absolutely. Take our loser, and if it becomes a winner under this new format, we have something to build on. So what what was it about your dad? I mean, your grandfather sounds a lot like my grandfather. He was just a dirt farmer, third-grade education um, you know, uh, came up all through the depression. Your grandfather became a, uh, an entrepreneur. Mine became a machinist for Boeing, but, uh, I mean, they came from simple people. What was, what was it that made your dad different? Well, what I celebrate is what was the same in those in the wonderful grounding of my grandfather and of my father, which translated uh, to my generation also, there is something there to build on. There is a hard-working ethic. It is a believing in other people and the opportunity to build something with other people who can become your partners. Do you think that spirit exists now, Cal? I think the spirit exists, yes. I think the um, the discourse at large is is largely negative, but that spirit exists out there, certainly in the heartland of America where 
those Dollar General stores are. The, um, uh, the tell me about the mission statement of uh, Dollar General. Well, we came up with a mission statement that really got the company going, and it was only two words, Glenn. Serving others. Life is about others. It's not about me. It's not about us. What can we do to make a difference in the lives of others? What do these small stores in these rural areas afford us as an opportunity to serve struggling people? And we do have salt of the earth people who shop in the Dollar General stores, and we have learned so much from them, Glenn. Genius is is not in the cities. It's out there in the countries, and it's in in the heart of good people. You know, the the number one... Um, I, I've talked to people who teach at Wharton, and they have said they're having a hard time teaching ethics because they will lay out these case studies and they'll say this company made this and they made this decision and um, and they're they're trying to teach ethics and they'll say they'll turn it over to the students. All right. So where do we begin? And invariably, the first question is, well, did they make money? And the professors are starting to are starting to be a little frustrated because they're like, no, no, no. No, we're talking about ethics, ethically, whether they made money or lost money. Ethically, is this right? And it's being tied now to success or failure. Yeah, well, I don't think you teach ethics. I think you learn it from life and from others. And when we adopted that two word mission statement, Glenn, serving others, we had the basis of applied ethics mm-hmm. in retailing. So why why what why now? What what was inspired you to write this book about your dad now? Well, it it took me 2 years to be convinced to do it and then doing it took 6 years. Mm. <laughs> but um it it has dawned on me as I do my retrospective on life that there are very few CEOs who have over 30 years in that job in the same company. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and and perhaps sharing the lessons learned from all of that can help others. And it, we went through so many different cycles in the company we went through ups and downs what's the we biggest through, what's the biggest thing cal that you learned in all of the ups and downs everything that you have seen from your dad and from you what is the biggest thing that an entrepreneur uh, an entrepreneur needs to learn first well an entrepreneur needs to understand his own core values and and what what his greatest opportunity in life is to serve others. You're not here for yourself. You're here for others. Your greatest opportunity is in serving others and partnering 
with others in doing that. And my my dad, as an entrepreneur, was of the old school, Glenn, and it, it was more retailing was more of a dog-eat-dog world back then, and his belief was that he should only expect the competition to do just everything to him that the competition could do. It's a a fight out there. Mm -hmm. And I came into the business uh, pursuing my calling, and um, excuse me, There's no, nothing worse than somebody coming into the into the room and distracting you in your middle of a point. Go ahead, Cal. <laughs> well, is that your wife? Yes, that was that was that was that was Margaret. Yes, say say, but, say hi um, to Margaret. I, I I came okay. All right. I came into the business, Glenn, um, pursuing my calling because I wrestled with whether to go into the ministry, and I I discerned that the greatest ministry opportunities in the real world, perhaps not in the mm-hmm. church, at mm-hmm. least for me, and it was in that business where we could help struggling people to have a better life. And um, I, I was very moved by the customers that came into a Dollar General store. Um, I waited on... A, an old, smelly, dirty farmer who was making a sacrificial purchase of a pair of 39-cent panties for the old lady. <laughs> and and I, I got a real message uh, from that farmer that um, there are a lot of people out there who are having a hard time making ends meet. And they could use help, Cal. And they come in, and they come into our store. I, uh, I, I, I just, I love you. You remind me so much of my uh, my grandfather and my family. I just, I just love it, uh, Cal well, Turner. That's that's a compliment. It is, sir. Uh, Cal Turner Jr., author of My Father's Business. You can find it at uh, Amazon or wherever. My Father's Business Book dot com. Uh, Cal Jr. from the uh, the uh, Dollar General store. Back in just a second, our sponsor this half hour is Simply Safe Home Security. By the way, Mike Rowe is going to be joining us next. Simply Safe Home Security, great security system. This is this is exactly the kind of company that Cal was talking about. A company that started out just wanting to help their friends. It was a plea from friends. He was, I think, at MIT, and he was an inventor, and his grandfather was an inventor, and he wanted to do something great. And his friends came and said, hey, can you help us out? We can't, you know, we can't afford the security, and we can't put a hardwired security in our house, and there's all kinds of uh, crime. And he said, uh, let me work on it. So he did. Well, the thing took off, and other people, they were telling their friends, people would come over, and they'd be like, How did, where did you get that? So he started making it, and he's like, I think we have a business here. Uh, and... He has never lost that ethic. Every time I meet with him, he talks about the customers as if they are their friends, as if he's not going to put something in somebody's house that he wouldn't put in his house or his friend's house. And they work harder than any any company I've ever seen. 
That's why when they join us, they had five people and, and now they're a billion dollar business. Simply safe. You own the system. It's incredibly priced, uh, really affordable. There's no hard wires. There's no uh, no contracts. So there's no strings attached to it. Just great service, 24-7 monitoring, $14.99 a month. You can cancel it any time because there's no contract. And again, you're in control of the system. Check it out now at simplysafebeck.com. That's simplysafebeck.com. Get 10% off at simplysafebeck.com. Welcome back to the program. Thank you so much for listening. Um, if you would like to help us help the people uh on the um in the east coast north carolina south carolina they're going to hit be hit by uh uh the hurricane please join us at mercuryone.org uh we've we already last night or yesterday we had 250 trucks semi tractor trailers on the road uh we have we're already on the ground we're waiting uh to be able to uh go in and help if you would like to help us help them mercuryone.org you know, uh, there, we should talk about this at some point today. I don't know if we have time now, but this sort of Puerto Rico death toll, it, obviously really disturbing, 3,000 people. But the, the way they're coming to the number is so, uh, it's not it's right. It's very Rwandan. Yeah, well, yeah, it's like they've just calculated the excess deaths uh, predict, predicted for the for the area. Instead of, like, this is these are American citizens. Shouldn't we, like, know all their names? I, I, Social like, Security cards, uh, driver's like, license. We should know. I, it's not that big of an island either. We should know. You're listening to the Glenn Beck Program. So I, I'm a little confused because my phone screen says that it's Michael Rowe that is on the phone. Uh, I've, I, I've never had to call him Michael before, but I don't know if he that's it is his assistance. So uh, insistence. So so Mr. Michael Rowe, how are you, sir? Indeed, Mr. You know what? Let's go with Mr. Micro. Glenn, I Mr. Micro. I- OK, Mr. Micro. <laughs> how are you, Mike? <laughs> I'm great, man. How are you? I'm great. I'm just thinking of the times, you know, uh, early on in our relationship when you were sitting in my studio and you said this Facebook thing. Should I have a Facebook page? <laughs> I'm like, yes, yes, you and should. Actually, you 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 literally leaned in and kind of looked over your shoulder just to make sure nobody was listening uh-huh. and said. I would if I were you. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, you just on Tuesday had, I think it was like 280,000 likes on a posting where, you, you know, I guess it could be portrayed as um, your takedown of Kaepernick, but that's not what it was at all. Um, no, it was no. It was instead a look at a hero. You want to explain how this happened and, and what you did? Well, as you know, you, you get a sort of a critical mass of people at some point, and the tail starts to wag the dog vis-a-vis mm-hmm. social media. Mm-hmm. And uh, you got 5 million people there, and they look at the headlines, and a lot of them assume that I'm sort of standing by to weigh in on anything that's remotely controversial. And, of course, you can't really run a foundation and be that guy. Right. Uh, so I'm not. But you also have to say something at some point uh, if the thing really bubbles up. So the thing with Kaepernick and Nike was what it was. But, of course, everything sort of landed on 9-11. And people were saying, you know, say something about this already. And I looked at the ad, really looked at it for the first time. And, look, I don't 
I, Colin Kaepernick is free to protest whatever he wants, however he wants, and Nike is certainly free mm-hmm. to elevate any opinion they feel like. It's it's still America, but uh, it was the it was the words on the ad. It was it was the sacrifice everything part, and I just thought mm, landing on nine eleven is that's that's a hell of a thing, and uh, and the question that I answered wasn't you know what do you think about the underlying protests or anything else. It was from a marketing standpoint, what do you think of the ad? You know, is it a, is it a good idea from a marketing standpoint? And I said, well, I, it's a confusing idea from a marketing standpoint because you've chosen a guy that half the people in the country uh, don't really relate to in terms of what a hero could be or ought to be. And uh, especially this time of year, you know, that ad came out early in September and here we are at September 11th. And I just, thought of Tom Burnett, you know, I, the guy that was on flight 93, who was instrumental in, uh, in leading that, that revolt. And I remembered the transcripts I had read years ago between he and his wife and I Googled them and there they were. So I posted his final conversation and just politely said that if it were me, I might've gone another way. And, uh, for whatever reason, you know, I went out, I went to work, I came home and yeah, uh, 10 million people had seen the thing and crazy. we were having ourselves a conversation. Yeah, it was. And, and you know, I, I'd read that years ago, but I had forgotten how intense uh, that conversation was and how his wife said, no, please don't no, sit down. Don't don't draw attention to yourself. And he she said, was a flight attendant. Too, yeah. Yeah. For Delta. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, he said, honey, I've uh, we've got to do something. Uh, and we're just waiting for a an open space and we're going to rush. It's, it's, well, that's the ultimate irony, Glenn. I mean, you know, you're, you're talking about a Nike campaign that's built on a slogan that says, just do it. His last words to his wife were, we're going to do something. And that's what hit me. It's like, good grief. I mean, that's, that's not a slogan. That's not marketing. That's the thing. Look, I felt the same thing a few years ago. Remember when the guys on the train, took down the terrorist unarmed. They charged a man with an automatic weapon. And the thing about these moments is it's, it's, it's not the enormity uh, of the tragedy. It's the, it's the, it's the micro element of it. It's the, it's the smallness of it. What would you do? Glenn Beck, I'll see halfway back, you know, what would you do? And anybody who's ever been on a plane or a train uh, needs to think about that question because it's the ultimate personal question and it's horribly relatable we've all been in that we've all been in that circumstance if not that exact situation and we should ask especially on 9-11 you know who are we what would we have done uh it's a gut check mike let me let me ask you something else um i just think this is fantastic Bob Woodward has now uh, broken all kinds of sales records. Uh, biggest, uh, fastest selling book, I think, in 93-year history of the uh, publishing company. Um, right. uh, and, uh, but there has, been a, there has been a slight glitch on the radar screen. Your mother. In the there was. Right. It was your mother was actually beating him in sales for a few hours. Uh, for the better part of a day, that's crazy. my mother, what happened is I, I, my, my mother's been writing these stories for years. And a couple of years ago, I started reading them on Facebook 
And one of those stories reached 128 million people. Publishers obviously called and said, look, if your mom writes a story about raising the dirty jobs guy, it's a guaranteed bestseller. I said, mom, you want to write a book? She says, what's it about? I told her, she said, mm, you know, I have two other sons. Doesn't seem right. I'm like, mom, <laughs> write the book. Write the book. She's like, well, let, let, let me noodle on it. She goes away. Six months later, she comes back. She's written 14 terrific stories. I'm not in any of them. They're all about her mother. And they're delightful, but it's not what a publisher would want. Right. So I print the things. I print 10,000 copies. They sell out in a week and a half. Now the publishers come back. I make a deal with Simon & Schuster. My mom's book is going to hit the stands in November. That's the backstory. I announced this a couple of days ago over the weekend, and the Amazon site crashes. She went from number 2 million to number 25, and then they couldn't take any more orders. So the Barnes & Noble site (laughs) was still working. And so everybody went there who wanted her book. And her book, which is fundamentally about hope, it's called About My Mother, beat a book called Fear. I'm not sure what it's about, but I'm pretty sure I can. (laughs) So I just, I couldn't help myself, Glenn. I, I, I took a picture of it and I sent it to my mom. And then I called her on the way to church and I filmed our conversation in the car. I'm like, Mom, you're. You're beating fear. Hope is beating fear on a Sunday afternoon. And I put that up on the Facebooks and then off we go. Crazy world. That is great. Well, I just wrote a book and it's all about you. Uh, It's called Addicted (laughs) to Outrage. Um, And you have to read between the lines to find the parts about you. But it's all really about you, Mike. So you can mention that at any time. Uh, I appreciate and, uh, it. You know what I'm this call? I'm going to post it immediately. Give Amazon a heads up. Because, yeah, yeah. Oh. It's crazy. It's crazy. You live in a, you live in, you walk a tightrope every day because things, everything now is political. And mm-hmm. you have done with MicroWorks, you have done such great stuff way ahead of, of the news cycle where we're all looking at universities and going, we don't need that debt. The, you know, if, if Apple, uh, even Google now saying we don't need a, uh, we don't need a university diploma, uh, to, to work here. We're just going to see what you're doing. Uh, and you were on this and called a madman for so long on top of that. Everything now is about politics, and you just refuse to get involved, which I, I commend you. How do you do it? Um, you know, I'm not, I'm not sure I, I've done it as successfully as you're saying. I think I, I get a little on me because you can't talk about education and you can't talk about work uh, without being completely immune, right? right? I mean, work leads to labor. Labor is unions. Unions is, is politics. Right. So that, that, that's a pretty quick trip, but... But in a very general way, it cuts the other way, too. Um, Everyone understands work because work is one of the few truly relatable things we all need to experience. How we define it is completely up to us. And the value we assign to various forms of education is completely within our control. So MicroWorks turned 10 this uh, this day. I I swear, Glenn, I remember talking to you about it not long after we launched it. I know. It was brand new. And and it's still modest by foundation standards. We've done about $5 in work ethic scholarships. But the 
the opportunity to use social and the opportunity to keep the conversation moving. Yeah. I got kind of tired of hearing people saying, you know, we need to have a conversation. Well, true. Uh, in this case, though, we have to talk about debt. We, we have to talk about $1.5 in college loans. We have to talk about 6.6 .6 million jobs still open, 75% of which don't require a degree. And we have to stop with this idea that following your passion is the only way to wind up passionate and doing something you love. It's nonsense. And uh, look, the millennials are a fun target, right? I mean, the, the, the crying closets and the safe spaces and all these other things. But we're the, uh, like the whole snowflake mentality, I said to somebody the other day, we're the, we're the clouds from which these snowflakes fell. And it's kind of it's on us, you know. We're putting pressure on 18-year-old kids to borrow money that we don't even have to lend them, but we give it to them anyway, knowing they're never going to be able to pay it back, educating them for jobs that don't really exist anymore. Right. So, yeah, we better have a conversation. Yeah. Mike, I'd love to have you back sometime uh, and uh, spend I'm just free a... tomorrow, Glenn. You're free tomorrow. Free tomorrow. <laughs> I'm not. I'm not. But uh, maybe your mom is. Maybe your mom is. <laughs> you know something? <laughs> your, your, your listeners would love her. She's oh, 80. I bet. She's sassy and highly caffeinated. How would she and highly caffeinated? Is she is she, how is she as an as an interview? Has anybody interviewed her yet? She's terrific, Glenn. She's been upstaging me my whole career. I right. put her in every show I'm in. She's on Returning the Favor. She's in Somebody's Got to Do It. She's on old episodes of Dirty Jobs. We 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 uh, might in, we might we might ask her to come on. Is that a good thing or would that be too shameful for you? Because if it is, we're definitely doing it. Well, it, it would be deeply humiliating for, I think, all of us. But, then it's done. Um, <laughs> let, let me run it up the flagpole. Yeah. <laughs> no, she's, got, she's got a publicist now, Glenn. Right. Oh, she does? Okay. Agent. So all right. there, may okay. be some, there may be some maneuvering. If well, if my people can talk to your people who could talk to her people, we can maybe work that out. Mike, thank you, you know, so if much. If somebody writes a book about your book, send it to her. I'll read that <laughs> book to her. Send her book to you. Okay. Right? And then we'll, it'll be great. It'll be fantastic. Mike, as always, good to talk to you. Thank you so much. Adios. Mike Rowe from Mike Rowe Works. We should totally talk to the real talent in the Rowe family at some point. Oh, you, I would love that. would be great. You get Mike Rowe's mom on. Oh, yeah. And we should just keep oh, him yeah. on on hold yeah. while that's going on. Hey, how are things going there? Mike, <laughs> enjoying this? You imagine having your mom on national radio? Oh, my God. All right. I want to tell you about our sponsor this half hour. It's Liberty Safe. Liberty Safe's last a lifetime, uh, and you can pass them on to your kids. I mean, you can't destroy these things. I mean, what are you going to do when you're dying? You're like, I don't know. Just put me in the Liberty Safe. And actually, I kind of like that idea. Freaked out. I was watching a show. What was it? Oh, it was uh, Sherlock. And uh, they were dug some, you know, old grave up and they opened it up and the worms were crawling out of the mouth and stuff. And I'm like, I don't I don't know. I don't want to be buried. I know I'm going to be dead, but I think I'm still going to have a problem with the worms eating me. So maybe you bury me in a Liberty Safe. I don't know. Uh, Liberty Safe. It is uh, the best built safe on the planet, bar none, built here in America. If you go into Cabela's and you're like, ah, oh, Cabela Safe, that yeah, looks just as good as Liberty Safe. Yeah, because Cabela's has their safes made by Liberty and they just put the, the Cabela sticker on it. Liberty Safe, great safe, no matter what you are protecting. 
you need it in a Liberty Safe. LibertySafe.com. Go there now. Over 2 million Americans have a Liberty Safe in their home. You need one in yours. Visit LibertySafe.com now. Find the, locals, uh, the, uh, the closest dealer to you. They'll deliver it to the home. They'll install it. It's LibertySafe.com. That's LibertySafe.com. This Norm Macdonald thing uh, from NBC really, really bothers me. Norm Macdonald, uh, a comedian and a writer, and, uh, you know, I, I don't, he's a conservative, isn't he? Kind of. Hollywood conservative. He doesn't hate America. That. How's that? That's sure. close enough for a Hollywood <laughs> conservative. Uh, and he came out with something. I, I, what I saw was very rational and just said, look, uh, Roseanne and Louis C.K., uh, have paid a very high price, and they're both friends, and they made mistakes. But you know, how long is this going to? How long does this go on? And he said it started with uh, you know, a hundred women can't be wrong about some guy, and then it was uh, one person can't be wrong about someone, and it's like, well, one person absolutely can lie. Well, one person lies all the time. Yes, uh, and he, I think he had one part of it, and I can't remember exactly what it was, but he did apologize for one way he phrased something. Yeah, he phrased uh, it way, the way he phrased it. I don't remember what it was, but the way he phrased it was. Um, uh, right. Uh, let's see. Like uh, Chris Hardwick, I really thought got the blunt end of the stick. Um, and they've turned this into, oh, you're you're downplaying the the victim and uh, and saying that they, you know, their their pain is comparable to you know Roseanne. Well, let me let me ask you. I mean, when it comes to sexual abuse, I'm with you. Um, I'm, I'm with you, you know, if you got a racist in the room and everything else, we, you know, David Duke, um, Roseanne's victim. I mean, is, yeah, is no there, a, is there a time or a place at any, I mean, is this, is this Les Miserables? You make one mistake and you have to continue to pay for it for the rest of your life. Or are we a country that says, okay, well, you paid a very big, heavy price and, Come on back in the community and let's see what you do now. Have you learned your lesson? Yeah, Roseanne's awful, and I never would have hired her in the first place. No. But she, there, what she, what happened with her was a victimless crime, right? Like Valerie Jarrett is real. Is she really upset about this? Is she really a victim in this? I mean, she was called. Uh, uh, you know, she had a bad joke told about her, uh, and you know, it wasn't good. And I understand what happened there, though. I didn't, you know, support it. I don't support people getting fired for tweets. But still, like, let's not act like she's in the same boat as, you know, a victim Some, of Harvey Weinstein. Right. I mean, it's it's ridiculous. And now NBC decides, oh, you can't even have that conversation and Glenn be on NBC. Beck. Mercury. Hey, it's Glenn. And I want to tell you about something that you should either end your day with or um, start your morning with. And that is the news and why it matters. If you like this show, you're going to love the news and why it matters. It's a bunch of us that all get together at the end of the day and just talk about the stories that matter to you and your life. The news and why it matters. Look for it now wherever you download your favorite podcast. Glenn Beck. I want to talk to you a little bit about um, violating policies that can get your voice silenced. Reddit has uh, shut down a, a bunch of subreddits for content policy violations. And, um, you know, they, they, they've said that they've, they've got to get rid of these subreddits that are, are spreading all kinds of pro-Trump conspiracy theories. And some of them are, you know, the QAnon subreddit uh, line. Out. I, don't, I don't even know what it is. I don't really care what it is. Um, you know, I've, I heard enough of people going, Q and 
and Q is the you know twelfth letter of the well, shut up. I mean, why why do you even care? But I would like to uh, just point out that while they are going after the pro-Trump conspiracy theorists because they're just so dangerous, I would like to take the opportunity to list a few subreddits that have not been banned as of this morning. Um, And I highly suggest you don't go looking for these. There is enough Internet subreddit, uh, which you will be able to see a man having sex with a chicken. Uh, You'll see a skinned monkey, uh, some type of body. I'm not really even sure what happened to that. Uh, Children in naked suits. Now, they're not technically naked, but they look naked. And women peeing on an octopus. That's all good. That's all good. Uh, you also have, uh, you know, the Gore subreddit, which, uh, you know, you, you, you'll have mental scars. Don't don't look for it um, at the necrophilia subreddit and also erotic death subreddit, which is porn with women being killed and sometimes eaten. Now, one of the things that they have pulled off is the subreddit pictures of abortions. I mean, because that one, you know, I mean. You don't want to show that. Sure, the the you know the porn with the women uh, getting killed and uh, and eaten, or the women you know peeing on the octopus. That's totally that's all within the boundaries. But the Donald Trump uh, you know thread of whatever the conspiracy is on the letter Q, that's got to be taken down. Meanwhile, Facebook. Uh, Banned uh, Jamie Glaz, uh, Glazov. I don't know him. He might be crazy. Facebook has banned him, he says, for 30 days for posting his article on the nine steps we need to take to counter jihad. Now, if his, you know, if his, if his nine steps are kill all of them because they're Muslim and then kill them again eight other times, probably. You know, probably kind of a guy you shouldn't be listening to. You can post your jihadi ISIS content on Facebook, and that's fine. But an article on how to counter it, that's not. Twitter has also banned the Center for Immigration Studies for, uh, uh, from promoting tweets about, quote, illegal aliens. The Center for Immigration Studies tweeted twitter has just rejected paid promotion of the tweet below saying this determination is based on the following twitter ads policy hateful comment because it contains the phrase illegal aliens hmm then in an effort to interfere i guess with elections facebook has banned banned the founder of the walk away movement i don't know anything really about this movement but isn't he a guy who was claims to be a Democrat and a homosexual? Who's like, we're just gonna walk away? Is that? I think it's. A, I think it's like walk away from the left is the concept behind it. Okay, so um, Facebook has banned this ex-Democrat, the founder of this, weeks before the uh, march. He uh, writes, "Walk away march on Washington uh, has been banned on Facebook." Uh, banned on the uh, from posting leading up to the march it's devastated our reach to uh, devastated our ability to reach uh, people then article 13 i don't even know what article 13 is but apparently article 13 was number two on trending and twitter just removed it 
These things were censored just in the last 24 hours. I don't know about you, but I remember my mom saying sticks and stones can break your bones, but words will never hurt you. What are we turning into when we can't handle words? You don't want to read it? Don't read it. You want to find somebody peeing on an octopus? I guess you can find it. I ain't looking for it. Well, actually, technically I was last night, but to make a point, but you don't have to see it if you don't like it. It's Thursday, September 13th. Wait, You're so listening to the Glenn Beck program. You're saying you did actually look for the ping. Okay, the that octopus. spiraled out of control there at the end a mm-hmm. little bit. Okay. Um, but I think you get the meaning. It's been noted by HR. Let's <laughs> the work computer. Let's, can you imagine? I mean, go ahead. Look at my look at my search history, man. I'm going to be apparently. Made I don't want to look at. I don't want to look at your her- search history. Apparently, uh, there's a lot of. A lot of darkness there. Andrew. A lot of darkness in question. I'm going to move this forward with Andrew Heaton, who is uh, with us now, uh, who's from uh, Reason.com, and I think one of the funniest guys uh, on the internet. You you just did something, was it this week? It was uh, last last Friday. We oh, did one of the Kavanaugh hearings. Gosh, that's funny. Thank you. You took, you took, all, of the, you took all of the quotes from that madness... Mm-hmm. You set in as Kavanaugh, mm-hmm. and who's your partner on this? He's- be Austin. Well, there's two. There's Austin Bragg, who's on camera, and there's okay. Meredith Bragg, who's off camera. Okay. But uh, Austin is this uh, uh, wonderful human that just sort of embodies smoldering anger. Uh, and so we we do well uh, working together because yeah. I've, I've got this almost like I'm going to sell you life insurance optimism thing mm-hmm. going for me. And he's mm-hmm. got that. And we took I, I mean, I think I think the operative word in that particular episode was grandstanding. Uh, as, yeah. as I mentioned to you guys earlier, when I am Senate Judiciary Chairman, I think two or three years from now, uh, I'm going to call on people in the order they're not running for president. I'm going to strap seniority uh, because it was very apparent to me who was running for president and who wasn't. Uh, it was agonizing. Do you think that they have. I mean, this is not the role of the Senate. It's advise and consent. And elections have consequences. Mm -hmm. We got Elena Kagan. We're getting this guy who I honestly think if they throw him out, Trump's the kind of guy who's like, oh, yeah, well, here's Andrew Napolitano. (laughs) Well, I would. (laughs) And I'd like that. that. If that were the actual gamble, I would be in favor of that. That They wouldn't like it. But they they, they might put in he might put in Gary Busey. He might. (laughs) If you're if you're a Democrat, there were there was what four final contenders that he had up there. He was the best one. Yeah. And one one of them was a very socially conservative lady from, I think, Minnesota or something like that one, I think, would be far Kavanaugh. um, uh, he's, you know, if, if you're trying to, you know, assess where he's at, he he appears to have a lot of respect for precedent. So I I understand why you think Roe versus Wade might be overturned, but that's not what he's blaring in with. Uh, although there were a couple other people that wanted to do that, he's not great on um, on privacy rights and things like that. Yeah, but otherwise, I, I, you know, he's a qualified jurist. Yeah, he's not the guy I would pick. I think he's a weenie. Andrew Napolitano. That. Yeah, that's, that's, he's <laughs> he's, and that would scare the hell out of uh, out of the left. And you know, I just keep. I just keep thinking, I, I don't even understand your strategy other than I'm just trying to get elected. I, I, well, I think it's a, a couple of things. I think there was a Hail Mary pass going on where, you know, I, if, if I were, if I were a, a Democrat, I would be very worried about the swing seat going to the, like, the hardcore conservatives or whatever. So I get, I get them trying to maintain that. I, it's high stakes enough. Uh, and I think that there was some idea of maybe we're going to get this po- postponed long enough and then somehow we'll pick up 20 Senate seats and then we can postpone this for two years. A real Hail Mary pass. 
Uh, but I but I think the main thing, though, is I think that that senators, not even Democrats or Republicans, senators all want to live in the speech scene from Mr. Smith goes to Washington. Yes. They all believe that they are the the righteous little guy fighting the good battle and they want to live in that moment well, and they want to be surrounded by applause. Yeah. Yeah. And, and Cory so, Booker doesn't believe it, though. A Cory Booker is out there just just oh, he was trying to get he, he, he said when, when Elizabeth Warren was, got that hashtag. He was like, oh, oh I yeah. want that so bad. <laughs> he lives. How do I get a hashtag? They all do. I mean, it's it, you're it's you're so right. It's like these. This is just an audition, right? They all want to have that moment that they can later fundraise on for their presidential campaign, which, by the way, they're all going to be announcing in like three or four mm-hmm. months, which is so depressing. We're almost there. We're almost in the middle oh. of the 2020 election. Yeah. And they're oh. all just auditioning, trying to get their little uh, donor email. I think, I think he was hoping that he would be uh, expelled from the Senate because what a what a great oh, yeah, position. Yeah. 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 If you, you, oh, he, he was he was trying to. I'm willing to. The, the secret crypto racist yeah. and an illegitimate <laughs> process to get him in. And you got yeah. kicked out from the Senate because yeah. you believe. Like, oh, what I was. I'm thing. also senator. I'm also stealing copy paper yeah. at night. <laughs> I'm doing it. <laughs> I think he was You're a, wondering where all that paper is going to. It's in the trunk of my car. <laughs> and I'm willing to walk. I'm willing to have you fire me for that. I mean, it was crazy. Yeah, it was crazy. So um, uh, I, I want to turn it to uh, Norm Macdonald and this this chilling of speech. Uh, you know, you said, uh, you know, there could be a lot of, you know, a really, you know, hardcore conservative uh, appointed to the court. I don't I don't want a Republican. I don't want a Democrat. I don't want a liberal. I don't want a conservative. I want a hardcore constitutionalist. All of our arguments would go away if we were just using a hardcore constitutionalist. Somebody would stand up for freedom of speech no matter who is saying it. We're going into a world, and you have to feel it with comedy, mm-hmm. where uh, I, I don't know how this ends. I don't know how this ends. You concerned about it? You know, I, I hope that eventually we kind of burn out, uh, although... Uh, I, I will say, in the world of comedy, stand-up comedians almost to a person will will back up the other stand-up comedians when when somebody's getting uh, you know railed for political correctness. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the attitude is stand-up comedy. You, you've entered our sphere. Um, this is our home. If we're in a comedy club, uh, mm-hmm. and we're allowed to kind of say whatever we want, and it's very rare to find a stand-up comedian that will throw another stand-up comedian under the bus. Uh, I on a on a broader level, I'm worried that we seem to have this kind of Orwellian. Uh, two minutes hate thing in our culture where we we have this deep need for catharsis to uh, ruin someone every day and then our i guess our goal is to get them to hang themselves or something and that i find well, by the disturbing. end of the day we don't the, yeah. we, we won't pay attention for two days yeah, we, we won't actually we won't know what happens tomorrow because yeah, we will yeah, move yeah. on, to somebody, we'll move on to somebody else that bothers me uh i like i'd say from from my vantage point you know i i want to live in a in, in both legally a, a country that has freedom of speech but also culturally has freedom of speech but if there's any any two realms in it that I'm particularly concerned about, it's college campuses and which they're they're that that's not a thing anymore. Uh, and comedy clubs. I mean, like like comedians tend to be the the jesters that are allowed to really poke at the edges of things yes. and, and go to whatever the sacred cow is. And every group has different sacred cows and comedians go in and slaughter them. And, and there we are important for that reason, because we can actually shake things up. So I want to I'm going to take a break and we'll come back. And I want to ask you specifically about octopus. <laughs> no. Have you ever peed on it? Have you ever no. desired to nope, pee on it? I'm a big fan of them. And, and also, right. I, I'm kind of you know restricted to where I go to the bathroom. Yeah. So. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, no, I want to talk to you about Norm MacDonald and, and our comedians rallying around him. He wasn't saying anything, I didn't think, 
It's not the way I would have phrased it, but I didn't think he was saying anything controversial. And he, he's basically saying, can, can we talk about things? Mm-hmm. Can we talk about things? Apparently, no is the answer. Yeah, well, he, I mean, he did the, the, the two things that I'm aware of is he, he used, he, he, on a follow-up to the first statement, yeah. um, said you'd have to have Down syndrome to something, something, something. Yeah, probably which, not the best choice. Was, yes, word. that was yeah. a clumsy so, thing, yeah. So let's go through the whole thing when yeah. we come back here in a second. First, let me tell you about uh, our sponsor this half hour. It's Goldline. Uh, Goldline, I've been telling you about their new uh, silver uh, maple flex, which this is actually an idea of mine that I think I gave Goldline about five years ago. And I said, you know, um, if I just had a credit card, because my kids were living in New York City at the time, and as my daughter reminded me the other day, I said, do you have do you have diamond earrings? And she said, uh, yes, Dad, I do. And I said, did I get those for you? And she said, you don't remember? I said, no. And she said, you sat me down at the table and said... You keep these with you, and if you ever need to buy your way off this island, you create a man. <laughs> so, well, you know, and I said, that's a good dad for you. Anyway, uh, the, it is. I, I, no one's giving me anything. No one gave me any diamonds. Would you like some diamond earrings? I would. Okay. I would. Um, the, um, the Maple Flex card is, is a couple of ounces of silver, but you can break it up into little pieces into tenth of an ounce, a uh, quarter of an ounce. So it's actually for... For barter, and we started with the Canadian mint uh, with the with with gold pieces. They have the you know uh, credit card size holder that has five individually sealed uh, one ten ounce uh, gold bars, also minted by the Canadian mint. Uh, and you can you can give them uh, now. You can get them at Goldline. You can give them to your family. You can hoard them yourself. You can look like Scrooge McDuck. Whatever you would like to do, it's a great investment. And in case you know, in case the world ever melts down, you don't have to eat a bunch of diamonds and then pick through the poop to find it. So you're on the other side of the border. Did I just say that out loud? <laughs> Is that the? <laughs> no, it's not there. That's not their slogan. No. Uh, 866-GOLDLINE or goldline.com. Uh, read their important risk information. Find out if gold or silver is right for you. But call them now and ask them about Maple Flex and also the gold bars from the Canadian Mint. Goldline.com. 1-866-GOLDLINE or goldline.com. Glenn Beck. You know, this is a little like the new phone book is here. Yeah. Uh, Addicted to Outrage on CD. I don't even know if people have CD players anymore. Five of them left. uh, (laughs) uh, There's five of them left, but uh, just came out. The audio book is really, really good. Available next week. Addicted to Outrage. Uh, You can find it wherever uh, books are sold. Okay, let's go over... Uh, Norm McDonald, and here's what he said. Yep, about Me Too. He said, I'm happy the Me Too movement has slowed down a little bit. It used to be 100 women can't be lying. And then it became one woman can't lie. And then that became, I believe all women. And you're like, what? Like that Chris Hardwick guy I thought really got the blunt end of the sick there. Uh, then the interviewer asked, what about, uh, what about when someone uh, admits to wrongdoing? And he says, the model used to be admit wrongdoing, uh, show complete contrition, and then we give you a second chance. Now it's admit wrongdoing and you're finished. And the only way to survive is deny, deny, deny. And that's not healthy. There, there, there is no forgiveness. I do think that at some point it will end with a completely innocent person of prominence sticking a gun in his head and ending it. That's my guess. I know a couple of people that this has happened to. He says, who? And this is, where, this is the part where he gets into trouble a little bit. He says, well, Louis C.K., Roseanne Barr, the two people that I know. And Roseanne was so broken up after her show was canceled that I got Louis C.K. to call her, even though Roseanne was very hard on Louis C.K. before that, which is kind of interesting. But she was so broken up and crying constantly. There are very few people that have gone through what they have, losing everything in a day. 
Of course, people will go, what about the victims? But you know what? The victims didn't have to go through that. Well, and it's and they went through something else. And he that, apologized. Yeah. He apologized for that immediately. Um, you know, they, they lost something else. They went through something, something else. Something worse, and, you know, in, in, in many cases. Right. But again, now are we going to are we going to shut him down? Does he have to lose everything for saying that? Right. And then he went on, I think it was Stern, and he said, yeah. uh, look, of course, I think the, you know, people getting people who've harassed you know, the others, you know, getting in trouble is, is a good thing. Only a person, oh, maybe someone with Down syndrome would doubt that, which is obviously a t- really maybe, terrible Maybe this is a really yeah. slow burn Senate campaign. Yeah. He's, <laughs> taking, he's taking a Trump card and is slowly going to run for uh, senator in, in California against Feinstein or something. Uh, Andrew Heaton, who is here from uh, Reason.com, a very funny comedian. So what do you what do you think of of NBC the producers, even Fallon, had to go and say, I'm sorry, but I think it's going to be bad for the show because my producers are crying in the hallway. Oh, dear God. Because of his up. comments in an interview. Oh, grow up. If that makes you cry, how, yeah. do, you, how do you survive a day in Manhattan? Yeah, we're working on a comedy I, show. You know, and, and I, like, I, I don't want to put words in their mouth. Most of my friends in comedy are, I think, very empowered, strong individuals that could handle that. Uh, and should that are women or men, right? Yeah, uh, and should be able to be able to handle that. Uh, I'm I'm sorry with the Fallon thing. I just learned about that. Um, I think Fallon tends to be a kind of um, uh, neutral ground politically, yeah. which yeah. is I think the main benefit to him. Yeah, uh, and and so I would think having um, Norman would be a good thing. Beyond that, I think it's odd that we've kind of got to this the state where. All reactions are at a ten or an eleven at all times. Yes. There, there are no threes anymore. Right. Um, so I would say, like, like you know, on a, on a scale of one to ten, how, like, I, you know, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't have said the the uh, the Down syndrome thing. Like, no, uh, of I don't think not. that was that was a polite thing to do. Right. And and I'd, I'd say, like, you know, his his analogy with, um, you know, what, you know, victims, you know, it, that's not a spitting contest between victims and them. Mm-hmm. Everybody can be in a bad right. position right. here. So there, it's it's he's not one hundred percent right in that regard. But is this like a you know, a 10 like, well, you know, I think Hitler had a good point. Like, no, it's not that. <laughs> right. Uh, and, and so, you know, how, how do we respond to that? And if we respond to everything with a 10, I, I do think he's right that everybody's going to just deny everything constantly. And don't you think it's with it. don't you think it's important what he said? It's going to end with somebody with a gun in their mouth. Yeah. It will. It will. Because the goal is to get people to hang. I mean, the right. goal is to get everybody to we want you fired from your job. We want the job to be boycotted. We want your your family to turn. I mean, like it, it is a like yeah, it is no, an it's, intense. It's a uh, witch hunt. Yeah. Uh, and, the, the lady, what was it? Uh, has Janine landed or whatever? And like by yeah, the time yeah, yeah. she landed, yeah. her life right. was gone. Right. And it's like, I, you know, like. And she almost killed herself. Yeah. And it was like, yeah. that so, seems like we kind of went overboard there. Right. And don't you think, I mean, what happened to the America where two friends, Jimmy Fallon and Norm MacDonald, could sit down and he could go, come on, man. Do you really, really, you really feel that way? And, and Norm could go, no, no, no. I didn't mean yeah. it that way. Why can't we have these discussions? Let's talk about that. I, I would, you know, I, th- I think that this this is a good this is a good and important conversation to have. Is like, you know, are we are we going to use due process the same way we use it in courts? Is that the same standard we're going to use in the public sphere? Right. I like that. Maybe maybe there's a reason we shouldn't. I don't know. Let's talk yeah, about that. Right. Uh, as opposed to have a, an orthodoxy we're bringing down on everybody. Andrew Heaton, thank you so much. Thank you. Always good to see you, and uh, keep up the good work. I th- I think you're really really funny. Thank you very much. All right. Andrew Heaton, uh, back in just a second. It's, it, I mean, it's like Noah's Ark today. I mean, there's, there's one, at least one of everything. Pat Boone in studio next. I want you to try to put yourself into the mindset of somebody that was was an icon in the fifties. Uh, and that continued for a very, very long time. 
still, he is the uh, number 10 best-selling uh, recording artist uh, on record. Number 10. Uh, he, I guess, caused some controversy uh, in the 1950s because he wouldn't kiss his co-star because <laughs> uh, he, wouldn't, he wouldn't cross that line. Pat Boone, welcome to the program. Well, thank you, Glenn. Let me correct that. Um, it wasn't that I wouldn't kiss Shirley Jones in the movie April Love. I would have. I wanted to. <laughs> right. Yeah. But uh, my, who wouldn't? If, if yeah. you saw her, then. Whew. Yeah. But I was 21 in my first second movie, and it was actually Bernadine first and then April Love in the first year of my, quote, movie career. I was married. I had three kids, a fourth on the way, to another Shirley, Shirley Boone. And there was no kiss in the script of April Love, or nor had there been in Bernadine, my first movie. And so I had not discussed with my wife, Shirley, the idea that I might spend half a day kissing some other woman. <laughs> and, and when the director of the film, April Love, proposed in Lexington, Kentucky, where we were filming, and a, and a county fair, Ferris wheel music number, that as the Ferris wheel comes to a close and you and Shirley Jones you've come very close to each other and are feeling very attracted as young kids yeah, yeah. to each other that you lean in and tentatively kind of kiss her and I said on the mouth he said on the mouth he said he said yes I said wait a minute Henry can we talk a minute I haven't discussed kissing my co-stars with my wife Shirley do we have to do it here can I just uh, maybe talk to her tonight and maybe do this tomorrow and he kind of chuckled. He said, well, no, this was the best place. People want to see you kiss your leading lady. And I said, I know, but I I just, I feel like I should not tell Shirley after the fact to yeah. my wife. So he said, okay, we'll do it a little later in the film. It never happened because first I came home that night and I told my wife, Shirley, she said, look, I'm way ahead of you. She said, I know you're going to have, you're going to make movies. You're going to have to kiss some ladies. But I want you to promise me one thing. And I said, anything. <laughs> she said, you won't enjoy it. <laughs> Could you promise that, honestly? I did. I promised. Yeah, I said, I promise. Yeah. I won't enjoy it. So I came back to the studio the next day with her permission, all puckered up, ready to go with Shirley Jones. But it had hit the trade papers, Glenn, overnight. Hollywood Reporter, Daily Variety, Pat Boone refuses to kiss leading lady. They surmise for religious reasons which it was not. It wasn't religious. I wanted to stay married, that's all. <laughs> that's and, a good uh, idea. How the yeah. world has changed. Yeah. How the world has and changed. And I never kissed Shirley Jones in that film. Fifty years later, there was, a, you know, they redid the film. I mean, they refurbished yeah, yeah. the actual film, and we had a big celebration of it in, in Hollywood. And, and did you kiss? There. Yes. Yeah. And I kissed Shirley Jones, but she... <laughs> Uh, her husband, Marty Ingalls, was there in a wheelchair, and it was his permission and Shirley, my wife. And I said, okay, I'm directing this. We're on the Ferris wheel, and here I come. I'm going to lean in and kiss you. And Shirley Jones turned her cheek to me. I said, oh, no, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> now no, you got a free pass at yeah. this point. Yeah. This is a lip We're clutch. not going to enjoy it. But, uh, no, there's no enjoyment. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. But, but there was a light, little, tender, teenage kind of a kiss, not... Uh, fatal attraction or anything like that. I didn't slap her against the wall. 
Then in the, the first time I met you, you won't remember this, but you were on a tour. I was still in music radio, and uh, you were on a tour. You were doing a hard rock uh, album. Yeah. And I think we met at the MTV Music Awards. Yes, uh, yeah. American Music Awards. Yeah, sure. okay. Uh, and um, you got into so much trouble yeah, from the other side. Yes. Because... I got kicked off Christian TV instantaneously. Seriously? Overnight, yeah. Because it looked like I had gone over to the dark side. (laughs) I mean, I... I, yeah, I had, you were weather, you were wearing, I think, leather chaps leather, or something. Tattoos, and it more was, than that, yeah. more than yeah. that. It was a full regalia yeah. that, that uh, Bill Ballou, who used to do Elvis's costumes for him, Dick Clark had him make this thing up where I look like the quintessential yeah. heavy metal rocker with dark shades. Yeah, yeah. You could hardly see through them. Uh-huh. Choker, uh-huh. Uh, earrings, tattoos on my shoulders, my pecs, a vest just open all the way to the navel leather pants, <laughs> heavy boots, and, and I'm going on <laughs> to crazy. present the award for hard rock heavy metal mm-hmm. with Alice Cooper. So Dick Clark had the idea we should swap images. Cooper would come out in a sweater, a sweater, mm-hmm. a golf cap, his mm-hmm. hair pulled back, carrying a glass of milk, white buck shoes, and I would come out as the heavy metal rocker, which Very he funny. prepared for me to do. And for us, for me, it was a funny way to advertise the fact that my heavy metal album of classic heavy metal songs, Deep Purple's uh, Smoke on the Water and, and Led Zeppelin's, uh, uh, um, gosh, Led, uh, Stairway to Heaven, yeah. mm. and Metallica's Enter Sandman, all of these songs with big band jazz arrangements, very good, mm-hmm. solid music, mm-hmm. but with the, uh, the yeah, cachet the songs, yeah. of all the heavy metal songs. Mm-hmm. And it was there was some humor we thought to the fact that Pat Boone was doing heavy metal, so Dick Clark wanted to emphasize that and have us swap images. People thought I was serious that I was trying to be a heavy metal rocker <laughs> and that so I had crazy. sold out. And you co- were so clear. I remember you walked into the room and you had a lollipop in your mouth, <laughs> and it was so clear that it was a joke. Yeah, um, but not the music. The music. No, no, no. I was very serious oh, yeah. about the music. Mm. So, Pat, um, I mean, I, I could spend a day with you talking. Um, I was going to take you to, you know, what you're seeing, um, but I would rather ask you, I'd rather ask you go what different. What I've seen. To, yeah, <laughs> well, I, like what you're, you know, how things have changed. But I actually, with the time I have left, I would rather ask you this because mm-hmm. you brought it up. Dick Clark was, people didn't really understand I think in the general public, mm-hmm. who Dick Clark was. I mean, he he was a genius, a genius, yeah, and a titan. Yeah, you've probably first met him on American Bandstand. Yeah, I did. I, I in fact, I was on in Philadelphia. First, no, well, yes. Yeah. When I first met Dick Clark, he was the off-camera announcer for Bob Horn. It was Bob Horn's Bandstand in wow. Philadelphia. And most of the big cities had dance party shows for the rock and roll kids to dance to. Dick Clark was the off-camera announcer who would say, now here's Bob Horn and and American Bandstand. Well, he also was a DJ in a local station. So most of the artists who came on didn't mess with him. I mean, he was just the studio announcer. But I went back and visited with him, and we talked and got chummy. I didn't know he was going to be Dick Clark, the major mogul, 
he was just a, a guy, and I wanted to say hi to him. Yeah. So we developed this, the beginning of a friendship. So when he took Bob Horn, got involved with some of the young teenage girls, and he lost That's his show. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, and Dick Clark took over the show, and then ABC moved it to New York, where my show was sometimes number one, the, the Pat Boone Chevy showroom on ABC. And so Dick, his first national show, he had as his guests me, Jerry Lee Lewis, and maybe Chuck Berry. What, what were they like? What was Jerry Lee Lewis like? Well, he was wild. Yeah. He was he was unusual. He was, uh, I don't know how to... If he he would have he been, just, if he wasn't sleeping with his, what was it, his teenage, cousin, teenage cousin. cousin yeah. he, he married, married her. her yeah. yeah. If that wouldn't have happened, he would have, do you think he would have been... Oh, been, uh, yeah, he would have been another Elvis. Uh, he would have, I, as it turned out, I was the other Elvis. I was <laughs> <laughs> because because I matched Elvis record for record in the fifties. I had one more. People don't know this. Um, one more top forty record than Elvis in the last half of the fifties. Wow! And in the eleven months before Elvis hit with Heartbreak Hotel, my first record was Two Hearts, Two Kisses an R&B cover of a, a record by the Charms on the Dutone label, which nobody in pop radio knew about. One heart's not enough, baby. Two hearts will make you feel crazy. One kiss will make you feel so nice. Two kisses take you to paradise. Two hearts, wow. two kisses make one love. All right, that was no, top 10 million seller. Next record, you made me cry. Huh. And you said, ain't that a shame? And, and it went to number one, boom, real quick. And then from March of 55 to February 56, when Elvis hit with Heartbreak Hotel, you can't believe it, but statistics show it's true. I had six million selling singles in that 11-month period. Two of them were A and B sides of the same record. Wow. And one, two of them number ones. No. I don't think it, people can't get their arms around uh the fame that must have been your fame yeah. and Elvis's fame in the 1950s because oh, there was it was worldwide yeah and yeah. it was and there were so few outlets not like now where it's all fragmented right there are only it's, three networks and- right i mean <laughs> if you are if you got your own show on on abc and you are putting hits out like that yeah. i mean that fame must have been crazy well it was and it was to me a crazy dream but at the same time i had a wife i was in college at columbia university i was determined i was going to be a teacher preacher i thought even then and i was so i was determined to get my degree from columbia i'd been at north texas state but when the records started mm-hmm. happening i moved to new york and columbia university mm-hmm. i was thrilled to be in part in a ivy league university and uh and and i had the pat boone chevy show in the last year or two uh, of the show i also did several big hit movies but i had a beautiful wife and i was having a child a year when i graduated from columbia magna cum laude 1958 at age 23 we had four kids already wow individually four girls all the records the movies the television all of it had holy at cow once. you guys must have been tired at once and I existed like you have, I'm sure, many times yeah. on four or five hours sleep a night. Shirley was keeping the home fires burning yeah. always, the valiant trooper yeah, that yeah, she yeah. always was. 
and and we managed it but to me it was it was crazy fantasy but when i came home at night to shirley and my little girls yeah i realized this is a it job makes all the difference in the world yeah it's my wife is the only one that saved me yeah i mean it's and me, I have to yeah, say the same yeah. thing, yeah. Pat, I would love to spend more time with you. I've got to go up against the break here, but good to see you. Thank you so much. Listen, we need you, Glenn. More and more, I, this Billy Graham magazine published after his death, Death. Um, it's called This Growing Darkness. Yeah. The one remedy for darkness is light. Yeah. Darkness cannot exist in light. Yeah. And you keep shining the light. Thank you. Keep it going because the darkness is trying to crowd in on us. It has been it has been so nice to have you as a kind of a, a cheerleader in the background. <laughs> always, always. And I, from early Fox so days pre- on. So appreciate it. Pat Boone. All right. Uh, our sponsor this half hour is American Finance. American Finance, they're the people that you can go to if you're looking to finance your home or refinance your, uh, your, your home loan. Uh, they do not... They don't take money from the banks. They're not working for the banks. Usually when you go in and you're like, I hope the bank will give me this loan. They're not giving it to you. They're selling it to you and they're making a ton of money. So they should be courting you. Well, the reason why that's not happening is because uh, the people who sell those loans to you are actually getting commissions. So they try to fit you into the loan that the bank wants to sell. That's different in American financing. There are no commissions with American financing. So when you go in, they are looking to listen to you. What are you trying to do? What are you trying to meet? What can you actually afford? American financing, salary-based mortgage consultants. They have an A-plus rating with the BBB and over 1,800 Google reviews. They make it easy to close and to uh, and to get into the, your new home. It's AmericanFinancing.net. That's AmericanFinancing.net, 800-906-2440, 800-906-2440. American Financing Corporation, NMLS 182334, www.nmlsconsumeraccess.org. Glenn Beck. Tonight on TV. No catastrophe is too catastrophic. No apocalypse is too apocalyptic. No sports questions are too be answered. I don't know what's going on here. Glenn takes your calls live on the air. The show starts at 5 p.m. Eastern, so get in line a little early at 888-727-BECK. Only on The Blaze. Uh, Glenn is going to be hosting a live book signing tonight. I uh, am? You are. I'm so uh, excited. Uh, yeah, that means you're going to be writing... On television. Wow. But the cool thing about it is you actually get to ask questions about the book. and, and right. You're going to be joining me, right? I will be, yes. Right. So uh, the questions, uh, you know, you can ask anything. And uh, and I will mislead and, you with lies. That's right. And mm-hmm. Stu will make it uncomfortable mm-hmm. and uh, and is uh, tedious for me. Entertaining for you. Mm-hmm. Tedious and embarrassing for me as he possibly can. Good that you finally learned after 20 years. Yes. It's livesigning.com slash Beck. You can go there now, uh, get the book, and uh, and submit your question. Livesigning.com slash Beck at 8 p.m. tonight Eastern. Uh, we are already on the ground um, ready uh, for cleanup and, um, and aid for Hurricane Florence. Mercury One is uh, on the ground. Yesterday, we had 250 uh, semi-trucks on the road headed in that direction with supplies, uh, with water, with shovels, with chainsaws, You, whatever it is that they are going to need. Our team was already out. 
Uh, we also have uh, Team Rubicon that we are supporting. These guys are amazing. Operation Barbecue Relief. We just got them out of California. The wildfires, they, they feed 30,000 people a day. Uh, or sorry, 30,000 meals a day. Um, we have City Impact, Somebody's Cares, and Mercury One is supporting all of these. We need your assistance. If you would like to help out and donate, even five bucks helps out at mercuryone.org. Go there now. Please make a donation, mercuryone.org. Carolinas, stay safe. We've got your back. Glenn, back. Mercury. 